Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. It seems that podcasts are everywhere these days and there are more coming online all the time. But that hasn't always been the case, certainly not in the whiskey world. Our social media guru, Mads Schmoll, decided to dive into the world of whiskey podcasts for issue 48 of Unfiltered, tracking down some of the most popular podcasters and catching up for a chat about how they got started in this field. I'll hand over to Mads and she can tell you all about it. From finding a bourbon Sherpa to sitting down with one of the first whiskey podcasters ever, we've been exploring the world of whiskey podcasting. With over 850,000 active podcasts globally, there's a fair few to choose from, even once you narrow the subject down to whiskey. With your recommendations in hand, we set out to talk to these whiskey podcasters and find out just what it is that's inspired them. To kick things off, we sat down with Mark Gillespie from WhiskeyCast, who started his podcast when there were just 3,000 podcasts in the iTunes store. Here's how it all began for him. I've been a broadcast journalist my entire career. Uh, got my first radio job the day I graduated from high school and have been working in broadcast and electronic media for many, many years, ever since, and got into online journalism close to 30 years or 25 years ago, back in the mid-90s when it was just really getting started and was working with uh, some of the very early versions of digital audio software and digital video software back then. Uh, I can remember the days when Photoshop came on floppy disks, for instance. Back in 2005, I was working as a uh, television news producer for a company in New Jersey that was, we were producing content for CNN on a daily basis, along with uh, radio pieces for CNN radio and other broadcast and electronic media projects. And this was about the time that Apple had decided to add podcasting support to the old iPods, to the early iPods. Our bosses decided, well, maybe we should explore this whole podcasting thing and see what we can do in that space. I was the person who was going to have to make that work. And I'm going, hold up, guys. Let's uh, take our time here and do this right. Because we don't know, one, what it's going to take to make this happen, to make it work internally. We also don't know what we're getting ourselves into. And we don't want to screw up and put a long-term brand that a lot of people know about on the line by doing something that we make a big splash about it and start a podcast and say we're doing podcasts and then kill it a couple of months later because it's a pain in the neck to produce and nobody's listening. So I said, let me experiment for a little bit for a few weeks and see what we're getting ourselves into before we commit to this. They agreed. And I thought about, I had thought about maybe doing something in the whiskey space just for my own education and for fun all along for a couple of months before that. So what I did was take some of my recording gear to Whiskey Fest in New York that November, do a few interviews, and come back and start producing a, a few small podcast episodes and test out the technology. Now, it's important to note that back in the summer of 2005, I was active on the old Whiskey Magazine message boards that were very popular with whiskey lovers back then. And I had specifically asked folks, 
on the board. If I produced a whiskey podcast, would you guys listen to it? We had 17 responses to that question. One said yes. Two others said maybe. And the other 14 said, what's a podcast? After I produced the first couple of episodes and put them out and added the links to the message board so people could find them, people came back and said, oh, that's what you meant by a podcast. And it snowballed from there. I went back to the bosses a month or so later and said, yep, we can do this. Here's how we do it. Here's what it's going to take, the workflow, working with the IT folks. We can do this. So we started doing it. Six months later, they closed my studio in Princeton. Uh, we ended our contract with the TV network we were working with. And they laid me off and moved the studio to Washington, D.C. and hired a kid at a third of my salary to produce the content. So I kept producing the show, and I had my own equipment, and kept producing it, landed a full-time paying gig a few months later, a couple of months later, with Bloomberg News in New York, and continued to produce the podcast through that period of time for three years, from 06 through 09, and if you remember late 2008, all of 2009, we had the financial crisis. I survived the first round of layoffs in Bloomberg history in the fall at Bloomberg TV in the fall of February in, in February of 2009. I did not survive the second round of cuts in the summer of 2009. That was the year we lost 100,000 media jobs in the U.S. alone. I did not. I, I had one job interview for, over the course of the following year, and was still producing the show. Fortunately, the severance package from Bloomberg was good, and we had some advertising revenue starting to come in from the show. It wasn't something I had ever really thought much about when we started, but as we got a bigger audience, brands asked how they could participate, and we figured out how they could advertise. Summer of 2010, or the spring of 2010, my family sits me down, my wife and three daughters, for what, we, what I affectionately refer to as the Come to Jesus meeting. Others might refer to it as an intervention. And they said, hey, this thing is really cute, and it has some income potential, but you stink at the business side. Because I was doing everything. I was doing all the, I was handling the advertising, sales, working with brands, and building the website myself, and doing everything because it was my hobby. It was my baby, and I didn't want to give up control. And they said, you can keep doing this, but you got to give some stuff up. You got to give. You got to turn over the business side to my wife and business partner Christina Philburn. You got to give it up to her because her specialty, her experience is in marketing, PR, and business consulting, and she knows this stuff. You don't. And I learned a very invaluable lesson about listening and about giving up control, because by giving up control over that part of the business that I wasn't good at and being able to refocus on my strengths in content creation, she was able to take it and make it successful to the point where 10 years later, it's our, both of our full-time jobs. I could not have done this without her. For many of the podcasters we spoke to, there's been two journeys, one into whiskey and the other into podcasting. For Kenny Coleman from Bourbon Pursuit, that journey started at university with a glass of bourbon. I guess I guess the podcast doesn't actually start, and unless you talk about you know 
an affliction with whiskey. Mine really began back in college of joining a fraternity that they were kind of known as the big bourbon drinkers on campus. Up until then, you know, it was was like any other kind of kid that was kind of getting that world. You're, you know, getting packs of Natty Light and whatever kind of cheap beer you're drinking. And not to say we were drinking good bourbon, it was cheap bourbon, but that's kind of where it really kind of started for me. And after college ended, I had friends that kind of gravitated towards wine and other spirits like that. However, I just found myself always still latching onto bourbon. So I began buying other types of bottles and kind of exploring of the taste because back then it was like just very old Barton and Kentucky Tavern. Those were my two staples that I would just always go to. And then I finally started gravitating out and finding things like Four Roses and uh, Woodford Reserve and all these other kind of things. And I remember even back then, uh, you know, getting a bottle of Maker's Mark with red wax. It was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is high quality. Not to say, I mean, it's, it's still really good stuff, but I mean, back then you were just, it, my mind was so closed. They didn't know everything else existed. Yeah. And so it was uh, just fast forward years and years after that. I think the bug really hit me bad in around 2013 timeframe. And I had somebody that I worked with. And he was kind of like my bourbon Sherpa, if you will. He really opened my eyes up into the whole world that like, I didn't know like limited edition bourbons existed or one time runs. I just thought like what you saw on the shelf is like, that's just what it is. And, and so he kind of got me hooked into, you know, hunting rare and all this other kind of stuff. And, and so that's where I kind of started amassing some of the collection that uh, you can maybe see behind me and some of the mm-hmm. other things that I've talked about on the podcast before. And then it was uh, about 2015, uh, about 2015 timeframe. I had my, my current co-host Ryan reach out to me and we were just friends at the time. And he said, Hey, like I'm thinking about starting a podcast on bourbon. I know that you're really into it. Would you be interested in kind of partnering with me? And at that time, I was, he knew that I was really getting into bourbon, like just from a, a historical perspective and buying perspective and just kind of wanting to know more and more about the brands. And he's from Bardstown. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of a, it was a good match of just, he knew the right people. He had the legacy there. I had the technical capability to kind of like execute on the podcast, but his, this was really his idea and his uh, kind of really at all where it formed. And so we, Unlike, I mean, I come from a tech background, so there's an idea that how can you build a better mousetrap? And that is kind of like what it looks like in in the tech world is like, okay, like you have all these different competing products, but they all have like something that's different about them. So I didn't, and one thing I always want to do is I always want to research. And so we research and try to figure out like, okay, like what other bourbon or whiskey podcasts are out there? And there was a few of them, uh, you know, there's, uh, of course, the whiskey cast is very well known and it's very much uh, about the news and it's very, you know, kind of more B2B focused uh, and very journalistic focused as well. Uh, there was other podcasts that are out there that were kind of like, uh, you know, there's some guys sitting around a table drinking Elmer T. Lee saying, oh, it tastes like vanilla and caramel. And, and I kind of want to figure out, like, what's missing? Like, what is that missing element? My manager at the time, he ran a very successful technical podcast where he brought on 
uh, CEOs and startup founders and stuff like that. So it was just interview style. We realized at that time that was really what was missing was a voice from the inside. How can we expose the people behind the brands that people love and really give them a voice and give them the ability to kind of like bring their personality? And so that's kind of where it really started was we our first episode that we ever released was Harlan Wheatley of Buffalo Trace. And, and, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, we've had pretty much every master distiller on from every major distillery, uh, bourbon distillery. We've had, um, you know, bloggers and authors and CEOs. I mean, like you name it, like we've run the gamut of, of everything that, that we've had on our show. And it's, great to be able to provide that level of knowledge to bourbon enthusiasts. So that's really what we're tailored to is, is those people that want to come away with an education. They want to know more about whatever it is that we're trying to offer and put on the podcast that day. And it was really an affirmation of, of how well the format was and how well the podcast was growing when Fred Minnick reached out and he said like, hey, I'd be interested in joining your show. We were kind of nervous, I guess, a little bit because we were like, oh, like Fred wants to join the show. And and so we had always told him that he could have started a podcast and it could have been bigger than ours because of just who he is. Uh, but hopefully that, you know, what we had built in the execution and the strategy and the marketing and everything that went behind it, uh, we're glad that he's a part of ours and that he didn't try to compete with us. <laughs> well, our next podcasters might not have had a bourbon Sherpa. They did have a band. For Andy and Stu from This Is My Dram, sharing music and whiskey came together. Just not in the form they initially thought. Well, I think the podcast came about because of what we do outside the podcast. Um, so Andy and I used to be in a band together, uh, which then gradually started to kind of, we, we ended up on quite permanent hiatus because of uh, being the only two members of the band left in Newcastle at the time. Um, and so we, we decided we got together and we would play music every now and then, but it wasn't quite the same as, uh, as being in a band. So we decided, we kind of thought, what else can we do? That means we still had to, uh, enjoy a bit of music stuff. Um, and we, we realized we're both into whiskey. I think that's your fault really, Andy, isn't it? You got me into, to whiskey with all yeah, of the lovely Irish drums you had. Yeah. I think I was into the drinking before, uh, the drinking side of it before you were, but, um, <laughs> we, when we started, we were really, I mean, we were, I, th I think I had a bottle of Lafroig and you had a bottle of, uh, was it Springbank or? Um, uh, probably the Glenfiddich. Uh, yeah, you, had, uh, you know, we had like two kind of cheap malt whiskies from the supermarket and we, we, we were trying to get, you know, all these complex notes off it and stuff. <laughs> it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best start, but yeah, I guess it was that we had the, we had the music um, thing in common and we'd been in a band together for all these years. Um, and uh, it was a way of us keeping, sharing the music that we were into without having the band practices to do that in. Um, and then also kind of, um, uh, you know, go from a very naive beginning as whiskey drinkers and we we sort of did the something fairly inadvisable with the podcast in that if you go right back to the very start which we keep saying we don't advise um you will hear two complete novices work their way through over however many series we've done now um episodes of the podcast um you'll you'll hear us get to the point where we um half know nothing half <laughs> 
That's that's debatable, definitely. Um, <laughs> I, th- I suppose we're interested in whiskey as a as a cultural product, as opposed to you know we're not technically experts in anything, but you know we're not talking about the in depth science of the production or uh, you know malting or terroir or any of those sort of things. It, it's it's much more about um, the whiskey culture and and how we can link that to. To music and makes some quite tenuous links and uh yeah that that that's the side of it that that i suppose interests us both do you know what i'd like to you know the you know the abrilara buna you know the story behind that that it was a bottle that was bricked up 120 years ago in the distillery i think i'd quite like to review that that whiskey that was that was bricked up in the walls um mm. and uh i don't know uh brick theme uh, walls <laughs> i'm yeah. sure we could i'm sure we could come up with something tenuous for that but that's one where um because we really love the abrilar abuna that that we that we did on the podcast and um it's always when, when there is that story about there being a bottle you, you know a kind of mystical bottle that exists out in the yeah. in, in the past somewhere that that's the one where i'm kind of thinking oh, if i had a if i had a time machine i would i'd like to like to go and nick that and give it a give it a go yeah i would go um i'd go port ellen uh for a, a kind of very uh obviously famous and closed distillery and i'd go for uh music theme of bands with singers called ellen in or people called ellen in i don't know there might there not there won't be that many bands with that whenever we've tried to pick a name it's been really hard to find bands with that name so uh, with people with that name and the only one we successfully did it on was uh when we did a pt whiskey so we went for bands with pete yeah that did, then, that did more too badly i cut the yeah alan might be a tricky one but um yeah. but i suppose in in you know in this fantasy land podcast we would have those artists performing live in the studio as well for blair and janet of whiskey women the creation of their podcast wasn't just about exploring whiskey it was about creating a safe space and discovering a way to talk about whiskey that would resonate with other wannabe whiskey drinkers. I've written our description many, many times over, and a phrase that keeps coming back to it is insistently unserious, just this idea that you don't need to know whiskey in order to enjoy whiskey and to be able to understand what we're talking about. Um, And also female-centric in that, like, one of we also wrote very early on in our mission statement like we seek to liberate wannabe whiskey drinkers like you know if this is an interest of yours that you you want to learn more but you kind of want to do it in a, a safe space um we're definitely there for you that you can just you can listen and you can become acquainted with names and sort of make a mental inventory of what to try next time at the bar um but no one is going to you know give you a real hard breakdown about what's smoky or not what's peaty I think we're like the happy hour of podcasts. Like yeah. we are, yeah, we're not we're not trying to like outdo anybody in whiskey superiority at all. If anything, we're like, come come with us. <laughs> come be come be goofy with us and have fun because whiskey should be fun. That's one of the things I really loved about talking with Janet in whiskey is we just went real off base, like real quick. It's <laughs> like we don't need to like talk about, you know. Esters and things like that. Like we can just, you know, what what does this uh, whiskey make us feel like? Yeah, and I think for me, it wasn't necessarily from other podcasts, but it was definitely. And you can probably relate to this. I've been mansplained whiskey so many times in my life, and it's always with that really boring language of 
of it's really oaky or smoky or, you know, whatever. And I think it's, it's one of the reasons why so many women are intimidated to try whiskey, that there's this idea that it's a really masculine drink and um, you have to know the language in order to yeah. enjoy it. It's like too much. And so we kind of decided we weren't, we weren't going to buy into that. We weren't going to use that language. We were going to use more interesting language that we could more readily understand and enjoy. So uh, one of the first ones came from Blair writing in her notebook, like this whiskey is like a bad relationship. It's not good, but I'm going to finish it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about it in terms of bad relationships or hipsters or, you know, music or whatever else, something that you don't necessarily have to be well-versed in the language of whiskey to immediately understand and have an interest in whiskey afterwards. Ultimately, whiskey podcasting is all about sharing good drums, whether that's with your co-host or a wider community of like-minded drinkers. For Australians Nick and Ted of Whiskey Waffle, a bit of healthy competition between friends brought their passion for Tasmanian whiskey to the wider world. Um, no, well, we used to run, well, we still do run a website called whiskeywaffle.com where we post musings and reviews and bits and pieces. Um, but we thought that the logical extension of our inverted commas waffle was in audio form. Basically, we stuck a microphone in the room when we got together to drink a few drams and yeah, the rest is history. So... How did we get into this whole whiskey lark? Well, exactly. What? Lark. As in the Tasmanian whiskey distillery lark. Ah, yeah. Actually, that's probably our most memorable whiskey-related moment as well. Uh, It was a great moment. We went there for the 45-minute tour, and we were still there three and a half hours later while our our tour guide kept pulling more drams off the shelf to give us a taste of. It was um, a really formative whiskey experience and one that made us fall in love with Tasmanian whiskey. Yeah, and really, it just spiralled from there. Look, after that afternoon, we were just so excited about whiskey that we got into this whole big whiskey arms race. I would get a new bottle, Nick would get a new bottle, and we were always Had trying to- to outdo each other. Yeah, outdo each other. And so one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, we were waffling incessantly about all these bottles that we'd bought. Um, and pretty quickly, our significant others got a bit sick of this and told us to tell someone else. And so we told the internet. And the internet listened. What started out as the ramblings of two tipsy Tassie boys actually has turned into one of the more popular repositories of whiskey knowledge on the internet. You can read more about the world of whiskey podcasts in Mads' feature, which is in issue 48 of Unfiltered, and it's also online at smws slash unfiltered. Until the next time, happy listening and cheers.